Hello and welcome to Our Bemus Papam, episode 245, Benedict XIV. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Abemus Papam. So you might have noticed we keep trading off between Benedict's and Clement's, and the parent's going to continue a little bit longer. But before we get into papal names, let's start with baptismal names. Today's pope was born Prospero Lambertini in Bologna, Italy, on March 31st, 1657. Like most of the popes at this time, he was educated in the law, but he also was educated in theology, and he had doctorates in both the law and theology. He's particularly devoted to St. Thomas Aquinas, and he served in a variety of minor positions in the papal bureaucracy, including in the Congregation for the Causes of Saints and, and, and the Rites. And he participated in a wide range of positions, difficult negotiations, and he showed an aptitude for practicing can law and a deep scholarly heart. In 1724, he was ordained a bishop while keeping his position in the papal curia. And then in 1727, he was named the Bishop of Ancona on the Adriatic coasts of Italy. He was created a cardinal in Pectore, which if you remember, it means it's secret. It's not published. It's not formally acknowledged. And then that was made public and promoted in 1728 by Pope Benedict XIII. After the election of Pope Clement XII, Cardinal Lambertini was named the Archbishop of his hometown in Bologna, where he served from 1731 until 1740. And during that time, he was seen as a particularly pastoral and reforming bishop, while at the same time being a skilled administrator. He emphasized the renewal of parishes, the need for parish priests to be focused on their missions, and he supported the work of St. Paul of the Cross and the new Passionist Order in his diocese. He was also really a particularly scholarly bishop. He wrote a long treatise on the beatification process in Rome from someone who worked there in the canonization of saints. He also reworked his own diocesan seminary's curriculum, focusing more on biblical theology and the work of the church fathers. In 1740, when Pope Clement XII died, the conclave was once again deadlocked, and the cardinals were definitely not originally looking at Cardinal Lambertini as a candidate, and frankly, he didn't really seem to be that interested in being one. The conclave, though, was really long. It lasted from February to August of 1740, and when all else failed, the cardinals turned to Cardinal Lampertini, who seemed to break through the logjam and was elected pope on August 17th. Supposedly, after a bunch of their plans to bring the conclave together fell through for uh, finding someone electable, out of exasperation and probably just joking, Cardinal Lambertini got up and said, if you want to elect a saint, choose Gaudi, a statesman, Aldo Brandini, an honest man, elect me. And so the cardinals elected him. He took the name Benedict XIV after Benedict XIII, who had made him a cardinal. His reforming zeal and energy were needed at Rome at this time. After the last couple of pontificates, the papacy was in a bad place, thanks in part to poor administration at home and hostility abroad. If you remember over the last couple of episodes, we've noticed that the papacy hasn't had much influence politically or even morally in Europe at this time. Most of the rulers of Europe were consolidating their own power and basically ignoring the pope. And this was a time of absolute rulers, and they wanted to complete their control over their own countries, and that included the church. And so the Pope approached the situation in Europe by negotiating and being conciliatory. He negotiated a series of agreements with the kingdoms of Sardinia, Spain, Portugal, Naples. And a lot of people criticized it as being too liberal, as giving away too much of the Pope's temporal political authority. But it really increased his moral authority and his influence throughout the continent. Theologically, the Pope undertook a wide range of reforms and issues. He worked to reform the Roman breviary after a new scholarly work on the Liturgy of the Hours suggested that it could probably stand a lot of improvement, including removing more legendary stories of saints and including more works by the Church Fathers. He ruled on difficult and naughty issues of the times, the most important being the validity of marriage between Catholics and Protestants. Up to this point, 
it was basically forbidden for Catholics and Protestants to be married in the church, and he gave permission for it under basically the same conditions that we have now. And likewise, he ruled that the children of Jews and other non-Christians must not be baptized by force or against their parents' wishes. And finally, he wrote a lot about the practice of usury, which is the lending of money at interest. And this caused a controversy since in Protestant countries, interest was pretty common and there were great financial successes that were coming into that. And the church was still pretty firmly against usury. And we also rolled on two controversies we've heard about before, both Jansenism and the Chinese rights controversy. In the Jansenist case, he ruled that only those people who publicly attacked the Catholic position were to be denied communion, not those who privately held something contrary to the church. And that's a pretty common standard for who gets denied communion today. You know, it's it's about manifest grave sin as opposed to what happens in someone's conscience. We, you know, don't get publicly called out. We are called to remove ourselves from communion if we find the stain of moral sin on us, but there's not a public kind of doing of that. Now, in the Chinese rights controversy, he enforced the anti-Jesuit decrees that previous popes had published, and that probably continued a bad policy of setting back the uh, the evangelization of China. Now, while the Pope was, in general, pretty liberal and tolerant, it was actually kind of amazing in, in a lot of ways, towards the end of his papacy, he began to recognize a particular intellectual danger growing in Europe, and he took steps to try and fight it. And this was the beginning of the so-called Enlightenment period in European history, which you probably remember from your high school history classes. And while you've probably heard about this time spoken only of, with favor, its exaltation of reason over all things and the rejection of anything traditional was directly aimed at the church. One of the Enlightenment philosophers famously wrote that the world would only be free when the last king was strangled with the entrails of the last priest. So the Pope, seeing this intellectual storm coming on the horizon, wrote to condemn a lot of Enlightenment practices in groups such as Freemasonry, which is secret society, which was based on reason and not on tradition or the teachings of the church and was directly opposed to the church in a lot of ways. He also condemned the works of the French author Voltaire, and he organized the Index of Forbidden Books to help condemn the things that were causing this kind of intellectual stir. He also saw the need, though, not just for condemning things or, or, or forbidding things, but for evangelical and apologetic work to counteract Enlightenment propaganda. But this theme is not going to be fixed in this papacy. It's going to continue going forward. And this is only the first rumblings of a controversy which will soon consume all of Europe and especially the papacy. Now, finally, we have another set of first rumblings, and that's in Portugal, and it's about the Jesuits. The Portuguese monarchy had hated the Jesuits for some time, and the Jesuits there had not necessarily been helping themselves. And so the Portuguese wanted the entire Jesuit order suppressed, and the Pope sent a cardinal, Cardinal Saladena, in April of 1758 to investigate the situation. But that was the last major thing that he would do. The Pope died, Pope Benedict XIV, died a month later on May 8th, 1758. He was an honest man, as he promised. He worked hard to serve the church to rebuild the papacy's position in the world. And he was succeeded by, you can guess it, Pope Clement XIII, and we will talk about him next week. Thank you for listening to Abemus Papam. You can find the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.